0: Thanks for listening to the third episode of the Armenian Music Podcast. I'm Rafi Mineshian. Today's episode is entitled, "In Armenian in America, Part 3. My conversation with Ada Dinkjian." night arcs fly away from their final album entitled petals on your path released in 1999 on the emrc record label we'll continue with the third and final part of my conversation with composer and musician ara Dingchan in a moment i wanted to take a moment to thank all of you for listening to the podcast the feedback has been very positive as we continue to gain listeners from all over the world keep spreading the news and hit that subscribe button on the digital platform of your choice. And now, the conclusion of my conversation with Ada Dinkchan. Let's cut to Israel. You have been a fixture in the, the community of, uh, of Jerusalem, and specifically the Oud community um, in Jerusalem, through the, the Oud Festival there. And um, much as kind of Greece embraced you, Israel also embraced you. Um, I'm not sure, again, if you were aware of the recordings that were made um, uh, featuring your compositions. But you settled into, again, a very similar status there uh, with regards to your appearances at the Oud Festival there. Um, How did that whole thing start? And how has your music been received in Israel? I'll tell you how it started. Uh
1: I got a phone call from somebody many years ago. A guy couldn't speak English. He's telling me what his name is. And I come your house, you know, I'm like, man, who are you? I'm Zohar. I come your house. So I I didn't understand it. But you know what? I said, yeah, fine. Come to my house, whatever. Yeah, come. So this guy comes to my house with a taxi and I bring him into my room downstairs, and you know I'm I'm giving him coffee and some chips or something I don't know, and he's just looking at me. I mean, because he doesn't speak English, and he's he's just looking at me. I'm like, man, what can I do for you? <laughs> you know. Wh- long story short, Zohar Fresco, the the world's most renowned frame Incredible. drummer, Incredible. Um he, he was he was enamored with Night Ark's music and wanted to meet me and wanted to communicate with me but was shy but doesn't speak english but found out where i live and took a, a chance and anyway we make some connection you know he's obviously sweet i could see that i had no idea of what his talent was until later on he he had moved to america and i started seeing him on some gigs and when i first heard him play i i i almost fainted well eventually he went back to israel uh, for health reasons and um, he called me up and said, Ara, there's a festival in Jerusalem. It's an Oud festival and, and you, you must come and play. And uh, I, I usually rely on, on people that I trust to give me advice uh, regarding if I should do a certain project or not that's in another country that I might not be familiar with because you never know if you're going to get ripped off or misrepresented or what have you. So if if Zohar said I should come and play that was good enough for me. And I I just went and uh I said who who's who's going to play? He said bring your pieces, I'll play. I, what else do you need? I said, "Well, a keyboard." He said, "I'll get you a keyboard player." And that was it.
0: I came with pieces. We had two rehearsals and we did the concert. And you did this concert and again, this is where the accidental um good luck happened. You you record, you, you perform a, a concert. The concert is called An Armenian in America, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Um, and yeah, you go ahead and you, you record the concert. Not record it. You perform the concert. And um, as I understand it, as you were kind of wrapping up and leaving, uh, lo and behold, somebody had actually recorded the concert through the, the soundboard. Right. And what happened when you went ahead and listened to your concert well i I, that was such a nice gesture i hadn't thought of even asking the engineer
1: to record it but he did and just handed it to me i said thanks a lot i went back um i listened to it once and and didn't think much of it to be honest with you and then my friend the engineer who recorded conversations with Monol, joe halagian he asked me about the concert, and I said, oh, well, I re- it's recorded here. you listen to it? And he called me up and said, are you crazy? You have to release this. And I said, no, no. He said, yeah, listen again. You have to release it. So actually, he did that with both Manol and and this. He's the
0: one who said, you have to release this. And so I released it. I have to publicly thank him because <laughs> these are some of my most cherished and favorite albums in your in your. In your collection, and so um, it, it for me. I think what that album kind of represents is is you taking your compositions um, outside of the sphere of night art, outside of the, that group, and um, just basically kind of, in some ways, going solo with your oud um, as opposed to other instruments. And it, it it kind of gave this. There was a freedom in the concert. And for those of us who absolutely love the sound of the Ood and your oud, it gave us an hour of listening to stuff that was on that Arvani Taki album that, that we had talked about, your Night Arc stuff, maybe even some new recordings. And, and, and doing it in a way that felt very free and open. Um, and so it was just really, really cool to actually hear, um, you know, for an hour straight listening to you on the oud and these incredible, incredible musicians that were with you. And, um, I, I would, I would have to say that that's an album that comes up a lot in my conversations with musicians. People really love that album.
1: Thank you. That, that one, I, as I look back, that was, uh, that was mostly about the playing
0: the oud, I think. Absolutely. And, um, before we kind of move on to Turkey, um, what is your, what is your kind of connection to Jerusalem? Do you, do you have a connection? Is it? Uh, I know that you perform there with your dad, as well. Um, but um, what is what is your connection to Jerusalem?
1: Well, I've I've played there eight times. Uh, my connection is that, you know, you play where people want to listen to you, and and they want to listen. And I've had incredible experiences there, meeting again so many people and and great musicians and students. And uh, of course, you know, politically, it's such a hotbed, and and it makes you uh, start to think about uh, some of those issues. And you have to, you know, at a certain point, you have to decide, you know, how do you feel about certain uh, political issues? And I always come back realizing that, boy, am I glad I'm a musician because it says so much. Uh, about uh, unification of of the human spirit, and in in its own way, uh, gives the finger to to people who try to divide us.
0: Now there is a a wave of interest that had probably been there for some time, but now it's your time to go ahead and connect with the country of Turkey and the Turkish public, Turkish music lovers. Um, this is actually a subject that in the Armenian community and in some parts of Armenia, for people that don't have, let's say, the um, the maturity and the perspective um, that you do, um, it, it is it is debated, uh, you know, uh, on Facebook, on, on other areas. So, but before I kind of get into the specifics of your output and your collaboration with music, um, with musicians in Turkey, um, you know, as as an Armenian from America uh, with a history that we have, uh, there is an argument out there that, you know, Arad Dinkchin going ahead and performing in Turkey with the Turkish musicians at sometimes under the sponsorship of Turkish organizations um, may be something that um, makes them uncomfortable. And it's on them. shouldn't be on you. It's on them. Um, Can you understand where that comes from? That kind of sentiment can come from? I'm an Armenian. Of course I understand it. I grew up with my grandparents
1: who survived the genocide. Of course I understand it.
0: Absolutely. And as far as um, your connection to Turkey, when it comes to concerts and and working with those musicians, when did that actually go ahead and start? I mean, we've talked a little bit about Greece. We've talked about Israel, but you've had a a pretty profound effect in Turkey with regards to your music. You are beloved there and um, you know, people are people, but when did that connection first start as far as you actually going there and performing there? Well, again, like the other
1: countries, uh, the music reached there before I physically reached there, Uh, again, through those uh, night arc recordings. Um, But I started going in 1990, this time uh, at the request of Sezen Aksu, who is the iconic singer and composer uh, in Turkey. Um, again she had uh, a hit with one of my songs and and asked me to come and bring her another song <laughs> and uh, you know we we need to we need to address some of what you said uh, prior to to this question Thank you if, if, you know first of all we we need to of course we cannot put an entire race or an entire group of people or an entire country we cannot define them as being one thing that would be as asinine as saying that uh this president represents me you know and therefore we are all like that i mean we we have to be a little bit more intelligent than that uh and what i'm talking about is specifically when you said Turkish sponsored organizations. Um, for those who might assume certain things, have they researched what beyond the fact that these organizations that might hire me are Turkish, have they have they uh investigated as to what those organizations represent and and what their political view is and what their view on the genocide is for that matter? I so, agree. I agree. So these, these are these are of course no, nobody is expected to do all those things but but if if and this is not just about me for sure but if we are going to criticize the actions of somebody we should at least look a little further than the surface uh because what I have discovered uh, having gone to Turkey now maybe 30 times there are Turks Kurds Armenians I mean, you name it, there, that are actually more knowledgeable about our history and our current plight than we are. Now, as forget as Armenians, as human beings, should we just disregard them? They are actually, in some cases, putting their own lives at risk for what appears to be our cause, but if, again, if you step back and look a little bit beyond they understand that is not an Armenian cause; it is uh, the the cause of the human being.
0: You know, because it's interesting you they, mentioned. A
1: lot that. of them are suffering this, uh, many of the same situations.
0: Well, I mean, let's take a look at Osman Kavala. I mean, you know, to the uneducated, maybe to, to people that are emotional, without basically going ahead and, and doing their due diligence, Osman Kavala is a huge cultural figure. Uh, not just in Turkey, um, but around the world, really. And he has really kind of embraced multiculturalism and has certainly embraced Armenian culture. And he's been in jail for a little while. Um, So in in some ways, um, people in Turkey, in my opinion, and I agree with you, by the way, um, they have more to lose than we do, you know, sitting at home. Uh, and kind of getting on Facebook and and, and talking about these things. And uh, you and I had a conversation offline some years ago, and I, I had mentioned that I'd, I'd gone to Turkey um, for the first and second time. And I was really taken by the survival of Armenian culture there and how uh, important Armenians in Istanbul and Armenians in Turkey, current-day Turkey, are. Um, how important that that presence has been, you know, throughout the years. And so in many ways, I, I feel that, um, you know, that argument um, uh, should should be basically uh, kind of brought forth from a more mature level.
1: Yeah, we, we should
0: be, do that. be cautious about it
1: because that Armenian community, um, y- you have to be there to understand what they're going through and how difficult it is to remain Armenian. They are, I've said it many times, that community, they are my heroes. Now, now, when it comes to me, can, can you understand how, how it makes them feel when an Armenian from America comes and, and, uh, is, uh, is accepted or, or successful, uh, in their
0: country, th- they get a sense of pride. I shouldn't go there I mean yeah yeah and that's I think one of the more remarkable kind of developments um, in your career and uh, again i'll I'll say it so you don't have to but you have really truly been an ambassador of not only Armenian culture but this concept of humanity where um, you know no matter what uh, just like you did in this video with picture you can have people that have had bitter, bitter historical experiences with each other, the fact that they're packing, um, you know, concert halls to see you and not only accepting you, but celebrating you uh, in, in, of all places uh, of Turkey, that I think maybe proves um, that um, not everybody is uh, so bad. And two is that, you know, people are intelligent and they, they do know about history. But then they also kind of know about things that they like, music that they like. They're just drawn to it. And they can interpret it however they want when it comes to, you know, lyrics. Uh, because, you know, our, our our connection with music is it's a very emotional one, right? It's a very emotional one. I mean, we when we're feeling sad, when we're feeling happy, we we go to the arts. And we're seeing this with COVID-19. With that being said. Wait, 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 wait. I'm yeah. sorry in- I'm sorry to interrupt you. Go for it. Be- be- before you get
1: to the next question, I-, I wanted to mention, because you brought up Osman Kavala, who I've known for many years. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Thank A you. couple of years ago, from his jail cell, he contacted the members of his organization, Anadolu Culture, and said, You know, Gomidas's 150th anniversary of his birth is coming up. We must do uh, concerts to recognize this very important celebration from his jail cell. So he told them, You're going to get these artists, these venues. And indeed, from all over the world, we, we got together and we did concerts in Berlin, Istanbul, and Dikranagert to honor the 150th anniversary of gomidas's birth and that's a turk who did that from his jail cell it's incredible
0: and when it comes to um um, you had a chance to kind of go there with your father and you know your your actions were kind of recorded there what what is your maybe the existential connection there but what was your visceral reaction when you finally got to the place where your ancestors are from let's so
1: difficult to put in words because it deserves poetic uh, words, but but at least at, in musical terms, consider this. We could say that Armenian music has been in exile from Dikranagert for, let's say, 50 to 100 years. Can, can you just imagine how my father must have felt on that, it was an outdoor stage, thousands of people who don't know him. They're mostly Kurds. But there he is on that stage singing Hele Hele, having kept it alive unintentionally in exile in America to only dramatically bring it back to where it was born. Can you just imagine how that must have felt?
0: I can't. Um what I can tell you how I feel is, uh, again, you and I had this conversation a few years ago offline, but um, g- going back to my grandfather's village uh, outside of Sepastia called Govdun, and th- there was this instant connection where a light kind of went off in my head and it finally was like, I, I get it now. I, I really, I-, I get it now. And in some weird way... Um, it put a lot of this baggage and this anger and this terrible history that we had, it put it to bed. And I, I, I felt like really a new person now, knowing where my roots were. Um, how did you, how did you feel? Um, we know how your dad felt, but how did, how did you feel as far as that connection?
1: Um, you know, if my ancestors were born in Argentina then the most meaningful trip in my life would be to go to Argentina. Simple as that. Be they Armenian or not. The fact that my grandparents were from Dikranagert and Harpert, that pilgrimage was the most meaningful. Um, You know, I always think in terms of the past and the future. And regarding those trips, I was able to, get even closer to my deceased grandparents by being there and instantly understanding so many of the stories they had told me in in a, as if they had come to life in in full color. But I also think about my grandchildren because we are, it's, this is just a chain. This is a a, a continuous story. It's, we're from there and it's important that we know it because we're carrying it doesn't matter where you're born you're carrying the dna the mannerisms of your ancestors you maybe you don't know your great grandfather but maybe you walk like him or talk like him and and that's where he's from and to be there is is
0: to is to complete your circle and if you don't mind kind of sharing this story but You had a chance to meet your past without even knowing it when you were playing the oud in Paris. At one point, when a a person came up to you and revealed what your grandfather or your great grandfather what he used to do as far as music was concerned. Yeah, uh, my father was born in
1: Paris, but my father was an orphan. His father had died when. My father was just a a baby, doesn't know anything or remember anything about his father. And soon after that, my grandmother got ill because she couldn't provide for my father and his sister. And so the only thing my father remembers about his mother was that she had a beautiful voice and would sing them to sleep, you know, kind of Turkish lullabies. And uh, then he was adopted. And those were the grandparents that I knew, the ones who had adopted him. Well, my father and I were doing a concert in Paris for the Armenian community when I was about 20 years old. And an old lady came up to my father and said, I knew your real parents. They were my friends. And we were, you know, of course, shaken. uh, And she invited us and we went to her little apartment. And she told my father that your mother had a beautiful voice. And that confirmed what he remembered about her. And then she said, and your father played the oud. And and that absolutely shattered me because here I am, an American, wow. brought up with the Beatles. Hmm. There is no motivation for me to want to play the oud. It's, you're not going to get girls. You're not going to be cool. <laughs> you're not, you're not going to make money. Right, right. Why would I want to play that instrument? I Had I not met that precious old lady... I would not have learned the lesson that we are our ancestors. They are in us. Physically, they are in us. Um, So that was a great lesson, a great gift to me, because it confirmed that what I felt was legitimate and justified, even if I didn't understand why I felt it.
0: That's an amazing story. And, um, you know, your your music, in my opinion, will be considered... Folk song. I mean, it would be considered folk music, much like we today think of folk music in the sense that, I mean, these are, these are really timeless songs. But, um, you know, aside from your, your deep connection with, with, with Turkey, past and present, um, wh- one of the regrets that I've had, I think, in my life um, is just not being able to pull the trigger and, and be able to convince the right people. Um, I, I've pushed hard but, but to get you to Armenia, because as, as you know, I've had a very intimate relationship with Armenia for over 20 years. And one of the goals that I've tried to do is to bring people together from Armenia and the diaspora. And we're starting to see that. Um, And it's pretty cool, but there was a time that you actually did perform in Armenia and it was at the opera house. And this is back in the night arc days um, in the early 90s, can you kind of explain what it was like to be on that stage performing in Armenia? Uh,
1: yeah, that was the only time I had been to Armenia. And um, Rafi, I, I try to conduct myself in a professional and dignified manner, especially on the stage, because I'm always thinking that maybe there's young people watching you and and emulating you and you, you want to do the right thing and be a good example. but that night uh, on the stage in Yerevan at the opera theater um, as I was playing I started to weep and when I say weep I mean the tears were falling on my oud uh, because it's hard to describe I guess it's the same as I remember we had arrived at like three o'clock in the morning so it was dark when when we arrived at our hotel but then early in the morning seven o'clock I opened my window and I I saw Ararat and of course like everybody else I broke down and started weeping you're not sure why then you can psychoanalyze why later but it was the same thing on the stage I was not prepared to be so emotionally overwhelmed it's like uh it's like seeing it's like seeing your your relative your sister or your brother that you had never seen before but you you're there it was something I'll never
0: forget. That's amazing. And, you know, for, for the Armenians and non-Armenians that are listening out there on this podcast, um, but I, I just want to make it known, and maybe some of them are some of my friends now that are um, you know, in the government or kind of in positions where they can make this happen, we need to bring out Adin to Armenia. And um Arad is not going to invite himself. We, we need to properly invite Ara and basically treat him with the respect that um is is overdue and i could tell you right now you know just knowing the armenian musical community there you've got a lot of hard hardcore Ada think fans with your music and um you know I'll, I'll just continue to bang that drum uh until until it happens the right way but let's let's kind of move um to kind of like what you've been doing you know recently, and one of the most kind of interesting projects that I think you've ever done is something called Secret Trio, and it brings together some incredible virtuosos uh, in Tamir and Ishmael. Um, and you know, c- could you kind of uh, tell me a little bit about how that whole thing uh, started because again you 've got a new album that 's coming out that 's live at Princeton with secret trio and new york gypsy all stars but you also made two other albums um, how did How did that all kind of start and let's talk a little bit about your kind of recent connection to these amazing amazing musicians
1: yeah the you know the great thing about living you know so close to New York City is uh, the accessibility to Uh, so many great artists you know when they when they come they're usually around here and so if if an artist of of tamer panarbash's stature is going to come to america he's going to live in new york new jersey because that's where the work is and eventually you're gonna you're gonna find him you're gonna hear him you're gonna want to play with him and it's the same thing when a young clarinet player from uh macedonia comes he's gonna go to juilliard to study and you're going to hear him and you're going to say wow what is that you know and so of course we're going to we're going to connect but the truth is the two of them Tamer and Ismail had started their own group called the New York Gypsy All-Stars unbelievable group with a great bass player Panayotis Andreo and uh percussionist Engin Gunaydin and they've had a few different keyboard players. Incredible mm-hmm. group. Anyway, um, they put out their first CD, and very soon after that, Tamed and Ismail came to my home and said, "We want to start a trio with you, an acoustic trio." And I, I'm, I'm older than them, you know. So I, sometimes I treat them like they're my kids. I said, "Young men, you just started a new project. You have a brand new CD out." you got to work that for a couple of years and try to make it a success. You don't start another project right away. Put all your energies into that group. And they said, yeah, we love that group and we're working, but we need the acoustic thing just to balance out our, our musical, you know, spectrum. (laughs) So. Wow. I had a hard time arguing with that. And, and I love them both as, as people and as musicians. And I was honored that they wanted to work with me like that. So, so we did and uh we i'll tell you uh sometimes you think well a drum is necessary for a group or this is necessary N- nothing is necessary other than the right musician it's not even the right instrument it's the right musician uh because uh, you can make up for uh what is physically not there uh by suggesting certain things in the way that you play or the way that you arrange the music. So anyway, we have this acoustic trio. Like you said, we, we made a couple of CDs and we've been fortunate that uh, people have liked it and we've traveled around the world uh, playing it. And you know, it's easier to travel and to hire three musicians playing acoustic instruments rather than a six piece electric band. You know, it's, it's a lot more portable, shall we say.
0: Absolutely. And Ada, just to give people perspective, when when exactly uh, did that meeting occur with Tom, Aaron Ishmael? And when did that first album come out? And you don't have to be exact about the dates, but in, in general, was it about 10, 12 years ago, something like that? Like that. I'm really bad with dates. <laughs> no worries, man. I'll take care of that for you. Okay, trust yeah. me. Um, but, uh, you know, I wanted to just kind of, again, uh, highlight some of the unique characteristics of both, Tamer, and Ishmael. I mean, these are not just ordinary musicians, just as you are not an ordinary person, composer, musician. There's something extraordinary about each each one of you. But for those people that are familiar with the kanun, we know that people use picks to go ahead and 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 pick that kanun. Um, but Tamer does not, is that correct? Right. The
1: traditional way of playing the kanun is you put... Uh, rings around your two pointed fingers, and then slip a, a plectrum, a pick, underneath uh, that ring, and and you pluck the kanun with your two pointer fingers. That's traditionally how it's played. Well, Tamer, as a youngster, uh, um, threw those rings away, grew his nails, and plays the kanun with ten fingers. Uh, if for those of you who want to understand what the significance of that is, imagine playing the piano with two fingers. Imagine the first person who says, I think I'm going to try to play the piano with 10 fingers. It was literally that much of a jump regarding technique and, and what can be done. He plays the kanun like it's a piano.
0: It's incredible. And I think in listening to these recordings and for those who will hopefully be um, listening to Ada's new album that's coming out, um, you know, the, the fact that there are no rings on the finger makes his sound... Um, more organic um, and and softer and a lot more. Um, I, I don't know what it is, but it's 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 this. Um, there's nothing like getting your 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 fingers literally um, on those on those strings,
1: and, and the I, fact I that he can do
0: add, it. I, I will add this
1: to what you're saying. Uh, beyond the sound and the technique, um, sound and technique is good uh, and important, but th- the equally remarkable thing about Tamer is his uh, knowledge of harmony which is not something that you expect typically from a person from the Middle East because the Middle Eastern music traditionally did not have harmony. Harmony is a European concept and something that we associate more with jazz uh, and uh, western classical music etc. But Tamer not only has a thorough knowledge of the maqam system or the modal system of the Middle East but is also equally knowledgeable about uh, advanced harmony. And, And this actually has been my life's work to try to marry microtonal modal melodies with the color of Western harmony. Those two things traditionally would and should clash. But if you study both, you can find a way to make them enhance each other
0: now as far as ishmael is concerned um that there, there is also a certain level of pedigree that he has he's not just some guy that plays um you know this this type of gypsy Balkan music i mean there, there is a a real structure and an understanding of that instrument through his um attending juilliard but um isn't there like a famous person that he once played for or there is music of a very famous composer or conductor that he actually um, performed. Well, even even if uh, most people
1: know Ismail for his Balkan uh, gypsy style clarinet playing, um, the truth is his greatest achievements and his biggest passion is in Western classical music. Uh, he would not have gotten into Juilliard uh, if if he wasn't all with scholarship. If he wasn't already. Uh, incredibly accomplished. Uh, He has gone all around the world as a clarinet soloist with uh, symphony orchestras playing uh, concertos. And indeed, uh, uh, he won the the top prize, the top honor at Juilliard upon graduation and as a result uh, played, I believe it was in front of the aging composer Elliot Carter, played Carter's uh, clarinet concerto. Um, Incredible. He's, yeah, he's He's he
0: extraordinary in at least two fields. The, um, the word that kind of comes to mind with regards to this, and I have to call it an ensemble, is that there is elements of classical music um, with regards to your compositions and how they're performed. I, I, I don't know if this term exists, so let me just say it. I, I feel like it's world chamber music because let's say, for example, The Last Sultan, it, it has a very classical feel to it. Um, whereas some of the other kind of songs that are performed, not only on this live album, but on your, your previous two, they're, they're reworkings of your night art compositions. And they sound completely different, very fresh. Um, so, what is it like kind of reimagining these particular um, you know, very famous songs? Um, and what's it like for those guys who probably grew up on your music to f- perform it as well?
1: Well, as as uh, musicians, we we leave our egos at the door and we come trying to serve the song. The song will always be bigger than us. And as we're actually, we work mostly in my room where I'm right now. We, we get together and without anything particular uh, planned, we try to find parts for each other or for ourselves uh, chamber music is exactly the correct term uh, rafi um we are trying to bring instead of you play the melody and i'll i'll accompany you we're trying to find you know uh, parts that are independent uh, independently beautiful and yet work together um, sometimes a part might be missing but it is suggested by the combination of the two other instruments it even could be a, a percussive technique that either Tamed or I or even the clarinet is doing a, at a moment um but yeah we because each of us studied western classical music we are not only trying to expand uh, uh, the definition of this middle eastern folk music uh but also and just as importantly to expand the, uh, the capacity and the roles of
0: our individual instruments. Got it. Got it. Which kind of brings us to, to the present, uh, as we kind of close out this, this conversation with Ara Dingchen. Chun. Ara, thanks again for sending me, uh, your latest CD. It's, it's amazing. Um, I'm not just saying that. I, I think it's amazing for me because again, you're taking a lot of pieces that you have composed in the past and performed, and you're putting them kind of in this uh, chamber music mode, but then you've got the muscle of the New York Gypsy All-Stars with some of the musicians that you had mentioned. Um, The name of this album is called, again, Live at Princeton University, Ara Dingshan with Secret Trio, and the New York Gypsy All-Stars. But um, what really kind of came through on this uh, was, was the sound quality uh, of this recording, I mean, your oud is absolutely crystal clear, and the balances are right. Um, you must be really thrilled with 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 how this thing came out.
1: Uh, yeah, I I am, and I and as far as that concerned, we have to give credit to the the live sound engineer who also was the recording and mixing engineer.
0: So, going ahead and finishing up this particular interview, I do have to ask. How your mom and dad are doing, obviously your your dad being uh, the world famous Onik Dinkchan, and obviously you know, your mom, who is equally influential in, in your life. How, how have they really kind of helped shape who you are? Uh, they, uh, you know, I dedicated an Armenian
1: America to them because they showed me exactly who I am. Uh, and both uh, musically, especially my father, and, and regarding uh, how I uh, view God and how I view uh, morality. Uh, I learned so much of that from my mother. So they have they have been my foundation and continue to be. I'm uh, happy to say that even in their early 90s, they're happy and healthy. They live two blocks from me. And of course, I've been calling them every Amazing. day. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting. They, both being born in France, they lived through the Nazi occupation. Uh, they lived through hunger. And bombings, and they are so uh, blasé about this coronavirus. Oh, Asal Gansni, this will pass. Also, (laughs) nothing. Don't worry, honey. You know. So I'm very blessed that in that way they are.
0: They're they're fine. They're just great. Thank you for asking. That's awesome. Hey, Ada. Listen, I I really appreciate you taking the time to um, have this conversation, and I, I want less to be about an interview than just kind of a conversation we've known each other a little while. And again, I, I really respect and looked up to you. I mean, you've really provided music and a lot of, um, um, a lot of comfort and, um, meaning to listen to your music. I reflect on certain things and I, I guess maybe that's what the beauty of music is all about is it allows you to go ahead and go to this other place. But, um, I really appreciate your, your humanity, the way that you kind of look at the world, um, and um, you know it's too soon to be talking about legacy, but when those days come for all of us, um, you will have really contributed a huge amount to humanity. And um, and thank you so much for for taking the time to speak with me. Uh, it's
1: been a pleasure, Rafi. Thank you for all your support and everything you do. And, and best of luck to you too. Thanks.
0: Thanks, Ada. Appreciate it. Take care. Bye bye. That concludes my conversation with Ada Dinkchan in a special three-part episode to kick off this new podcast series. One of the reasons I wanted to feature Ada as my first guest was due to him representing the past, present, and future all at once as it relates to Armenian culture. Documenting the immigrant musical experience of Armenians through his comprehensive collection of 78 RPMs in the first half of the 20th century preserves the past. His own recordings and concerts during his career has cemented him as a bona fide ambassador of Armenian culture wherever he's gone in the present. And finally, his thoughtful idealism as it relates to bringing together people, sometimes bitter historical enemies, through the arts remains a blueprint of how we can conduct ourselves in the future. Before I play a final piece by Ada to close out this program, a quick word on a recording from my own pomegranate music label, you may enjoy. In 2017, I released an album called Echoes, revived Armenian folk songs, as performed by Vigen Hovsepian. Ada lent his talents to perform as a guest artist on the song Nade. Check out the rest of the album on the digital music platform of your choice. Or, if you're old school like me, the CD is available on Amazon, where you can enjoy high-quality sound commissioned artwork and liner notes describing the music and now a final song to close out this program it may not be one that you were expecting in 2013 under the group name the ada dingchan quartet ada released an album called finding songs the final track on the album is dedicated to his son if you do a little sleuthing you'll figure out the play on words as it relates to the title in any case Ada has always championed seamlessly blending Eastern modal melody and improvisation with Western harmonic color and production values. We've heard the Eastern side through some of the cuts I have featured throughout the series this far. For this final song, we're going to go way over to the side of Western color with a track called In Wolf's Clothing. Thanks for listening. Let's go. music featured on this podcast is presented with permission from the publisher and sound copyright owner. Both songs featured today are published by Cricor Music. This is a Pomegranate Music production.